0: My name is Kim Sines, and I am the Director of Regional Programming for Family Equality Council. We're thrilled to have you join us for this celebration today of Black History Month and Parenting Podcast. Today, we have two amazing guests who will highlight how the multiple identities we have impact our daily lives. Please join me in welcoming Denise Hines, who is the Assistant Executive Director at Good Shepherd Services in New York, and a mom along with Dr. Chris Harris, who is a pediatric pulmonologist at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles, California, and a dad. Both of our guests have been longtime families involved with Family Equality Council. We're grateful to have you with us today sharing your story. Thank you. During our time together today, we will hear our guests share their story of family creation, highlighting major identity markers and talking about the triumphs, joys, and challenges of being a single parent along with how race has helped shape their family. After hearing their stories, we will have a few questions for them to answer. At this time, I'd like to inv- invite our guests to introduce themselves, beginning with Denise. Hi, I'm Denise Hines, um, as was
1: said, and uh, I live in New Jersey right now, but um originally from Brooklyn. I'm a social worker by trade, and I oversee... Um, a, a section of a social service agency called Good Shepherd Services, um, really mostly um, working with young people and families in foster care, juvenile justice settings, and supportive housing for young adults who have aged out of foster care. Um, and, you know, on the family side, I am a single mom now, actually co-parenting with uh, my ex-wife on... Um, And we have a 14-year-old, just 14-year-old daughter. She turned 14 on Sunday, so it's still very new to say. My story is kind of set in uh, a relationship that I had um, for over 20 years with my ex-wife. We began very young to in our relationship to talk about the possibility of having a child. Um originally we we didn't know any other um lesbian couples that had children and really weren't so sure if that was going to be possible for us. Um neither one of us at the time thought that we would want to um give birth to a child and began to think about the possibility of adoption. Um especially because I'd worked for so many years in foster care. Um, The thought of um, kind of, you know, bringing a child into our family um, that was already, that had already been given birth to by someone who could not take care of that child was something that was interesting to us. And so we began to pursue the private adoption route, um, mostly because we really wanted an infant and, at the time, it was that would have been very difficult to do through the foster care system in New York City, um, and so um, we began a very, very long process of um, trying to create a family through adoption. Um, one of the things that we gave a lot of thought to was how what our family would look like and whether we would have a child of color. Or not, because my partner was white and i'm African American, and we very much kind of decided that we wanted mm-hmm. to have a family that kind of looked a child that kind of represented the both of us um, and so we decided to to really look for and and search for a child of color through the adoption process. Um, it was probably two to three years into. Um, our search that a birth mother chose us um very interesting uh that she lived in Las Vegas and somehow found our packet and um kind of liked what we looked like and liked what she read and and chose us she gave birth to her daughter um who then became our daughter um without ever meeting us, um, chose us from the packet. And so we traveled to Las Vegas, uh, five days after our child's birth and, and got her. And so we now have, um, uh, Maura, who is 14 years old, um, through that process. And I think, you know, it's been a very interesting process. Mora is very comfortable, um, being just who she is. She's, um, she was born to a African-American woman who herself was biracial and an African-American male. And so um, she's very comfortable with uh, that side of herself. But she's also very comfortable having two moms, one who's white and one who's black. Um, going back to a very, very young uh, three- or four-year-old, she made a video about her family and about the fact that she had a black mom and a white mom and how other people may think that that's kind of unusual, but for her, it's just who she is. Um, another thing that was really important to us is where we lived and where we raised her um, and what kind of environment. And so we really began to look at different communities that would be accepting of a gay family accepting of an interracial family, um, and also accepting of a child who was born through adoption. And, and so we decided to um, move to New Jersey, um, in particular to the area of Maplewood, South Orange, where you know, it would be comfortable for her as well as for us um, that she would see other kids who looked like her and that she'd see other families that looked like us. And that's been really one of the kind of joys of our uh, raising our child um, through that process. Um, I don't think there's ever been a year that she's been in school that she's not had other adopted kids in her class, other gay families in her class, other kids with from mixed races in her class. So it's been a really good experience for her to... And just very natural, you know, for her to feel very comfortable in the environment and in the community that she lives in. um kids have always asked questions about her mom's, and she'll say, "Yeah, that's the white one, that's the black one, but she's never been uncomfortable with either and um and that's been that's always been very important to us and then um you know through the the process of life, you know, we ended up divorcing um my ex-wife and I and um now co-parenting um has been an interesting process. Luckily, for her, my daughter, she was already 12 um by that time and so she's very comfortable being in with both parents. Um and there are times when we're together and we, you know, we have family meetings and we talk about different things that are going on in our family but um it's been it's been I won't say easy but it's definitely been an interesting process and co-parenting has um definitely been um something that we've had to be very intentional again about how we do it um how we keep her happy how we keep her kind of grounded and knowing that she's got both of us and and, and all the support um, that she needs.
0: That's kind of our story. Great. Thank you so much, Denise. Chris, at this time, I'd like to invite you to share.
2: Thank you so much. First off, um, I am really uh, honored to be able to kind of give my perspectives on uh, parenting, gay parenting, parenting as a single African-American man, Um, because I I think as you put in your introduction, I I can't um, divorce any one of those various um, identities uh, from me. Um, They're all part and parcel of who I am. Also, as part and parcel of who I am is my career as a pediatrician. Um, I went to undergrad medical school at the University of Wisconsin, completed my pediatric training at Vanderbilt uh, in Nashville, Uh, Then did my pulmonary training at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And as I was turning 30 and, and as I say, had been to many, many classmates' weddings as I, you know, had finished training, I realized um, that uh, chances are at that stage of life I wasn't going to be marching down the aisle in a straight uh, relationship like all of my colleagues. And that was the time that I finally came out as I was turning 30. And part of the regret for me uh, as I was coming out was that I would not um, be able to parent. And there's an old adage in pediatrics that a pediatrician doesn't complete training until he or she has his or her own child. And, um, again, I, I felt that very deep, deeply. went along in my career over years um, and probably a decade later, um came upon Dan Savage's book, The Kid. Um, and uh, Dan, being the very irreverent uh, advice columnist that he is, talked in the book about his path to parenting. And... Um, I had also had a few other friends um, who had adopted, usually uh, from the foster care system. And all of those things really kind of gave me the idea that I could indeed, as a gay man, be a parent. Also about that time, I read uh, Jesse Green's book called The Velveteen Father, which was very different than Dan Savage's book, Dan being very very funny and a, a... um, kind of his own crass way. But Jesse Green's book is very cerebral in your head about um, being a father, a gay man, et cetera. And they both um, provided, uh, again, a counterbalance and, and a, a, a path forward for me, such that by the time I turned 40, I decided if I was going to do this, it, it was time to, to proceed. I had returned to Nashville at the time. I was on the faculty at Vanderbilt in the Department of Pediatrics there. And decided that I would would proceed with uh, the adoption process. Had another friend in town uh, who had adopted through the center for adoption, and met him at a party. And he said, "Oh yeah, there's another information session coming up, and I will literally, you know, hold your hand at this meeting." So we went to the meeting, got information, and then shortly thereafter, I started the um, parenting classes that this uh, particular. Foster to adoption agency uh, was holding that were were, was required. The classes were required in order for you to uh, be approved as an adoptive parent. Uh, Finished all the classes. The social workers came out and did the home study uh, in the fall of 2000, and then I waited for approval of the home study. And uh, at that time at work, we were short staffed, and I got very busy at work. Months and months went by, and there was no approval forthcoming from that particular agency. Summer of 2001 came along, and things were less busy at work, and I called them back and said, what's going on? And they said, oh, Dr. Harris, it's been a year since you started that. You'll need to fill out all of that paperwork again, which included the application, five letters of recommendation, finances, health screening, uh, answering all the questions about why I wanted to be a parent mailed it all in again, and again, no approval for the home study. And I had been out and open about who I uh, was as a gay man uh, with them, Um, and they had said in the classes, our only concern here is placing children. So, you know, we have no concerns about any personal characteristic or trait or, you know, aspect of your life as long as, you know, you – passed the home study. Um, But then after a year and a half of this, it became quite clear they were not going to approve my home study. So I had a secretary in our office at work who said, we've adopted a family member through this religiously affiliated agency. Why don't you call them? I said, well, I just don't know how that's going to work. But I called them up, filled out their application, sent them some money, and again, waited, 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 waited. And I'll always remember this. It was the uh, week between Christmas and New Year's of 2001, heading into 2002. I was on my way out of town to Asheville, North Carolina to meet some friends for the holiday weekend. And I called the agency up on the phone and asked them, this new religiously affiliated agency, what was going on with my application. And the secretary stuttered and stammered and got the head of the agency on the line. And he told me that they would work with a single women, but they would not work with single men. And anybody who knows me, that I'm a pretty non-confrontational person, very easygoing. But I let this guy have it with both barrels and said, "You've had my money, you've had my application for months, and you haven't bothered to let me know." And I wanted a reason why. And of course, uh, he was not going to give me a reason why. But you know, several weeks later, I got my money back. So as 2002 started, I. Uh, Basically, back in the days of phone books, picked up the phone book and just started calling adoption agencies, you know, A through whatever. And, of course, they all start with A. But um, called Adoption Connection uh, in Nashville, which was affiliated, is affiliated with Jewish Family Service. And talked to the social worker there, told her my story, told her that I was an out gay man. I was a pediatrician, had passed every test that anyone could ever give me about care of a child and said I wanted to adopt. And, uh, you know, long story short, uh, my home study was eventually approved. About the time that that was occurring, she got a call from a mom who was pregnant, uh, who said that she had several children. She would not be able to care for a third financially and wanted to place the child for adoption. They chatted. They hung up. Social worker called her back and said, well, I'm working with this gay man, uh, who's interested in in adopting, do you have any problems with him adopting your child? And she laughed, uh, and said, absolutely not. We have gay men in our family. Um, and all they do is spoil the children. So that was, uh, late spring, early summer of 2002. Maria, my daughter was born, uh, in November, uh, election day of 2002 and, uh, is now a 14 year old, uh, similar to Maura, uh, uh, though a few months older. Um, with regard to identity, again, uh, it was important for me, uh, as Denise said, to provide a home to a child that might not otherwise have one. And we know that statistics tell us that children of color have a more difficult time being placed than uh, children who aren't of color. So that was important to me. And, uh certainly one of the ways that I have attempted to expose her to difference in her life has been to um, you know as as a single person uh, throughout her life we've done uh, family week for many uh, summers we've done the our family cruises is a way for her to be around all sorts of different families Uh, living here in Los Angeles obviously also expose her to to difference in many many different ways Um, and I hope that Uh, Throughout all of that, I've been able to provide her with uh, a strong sense of self as an African-American woman uh, in society today. Um, A constant struggle, without a doubt, Uh, but uh, certainly that, that is my aim. And I think I'll stop there.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Chris. The first question that came in is, There's been an increase in reported violence, bullying, and discrimination over the past few months. There's also been a continued wave of resistance and solidarity. What are you most excited about your child's future given the political climate, and what are you most worried about?
1: Well, I think I'm most excited that there is so much happening in terms of resistance against all of the acts of violence and bullying and just, you know, negative rhetoric that's being preached. Um, I I think that she gets to see me and other women and other men of all colors standing up to that and being unafraid to say who they are and, and how they feel about these things. Um... She hasn't been able to go to any of the marches, um, but I I went to D.C., and she was really very excited to see and hear about it. Um, And we live in a town that's constantly kind of pushing back on all of that. Um, And so she, you know, even in school, they have had their own little walkouts and protests and things like that. So she's growing up at a time. I guess that's the thing I'm... I'm most excited about that she's growing up at a time where it's um it's what we do now it's become what we do we have to speak out we have to resist we have to push back and she is totally not afraid to do that um has been doing that since um she could talk um you know we grew we we've raised her uh, initially as catholic and um, she would hear some things from the pulpit in the Catholic Church that were very anti-gay, um, and she always questioned, and even to the point where a Sunday school teacher like called us one Sunday and said, I want you to know that your daughter was asking about why the Pope doesn't like um, gay people, and I was—you know, we I kind of took a deep breath, and the teacher was actually— very positive and very happy about her bringing that out. And I wasn't so sure. And she was probably eight then. So, um, you know, I think that it's, it's really a great time to grow up, even though there are these difficult things. Um, I am concerned that um, I am concerned about acts of violence um, against people of color, against people of different religions, et cetera, et cetera. And, And I do worry about um, how that might, how she might experience it, but I do believe that she's armed with the tools to to face it. Um, so it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess.
2: I completely agree. I, I, I'm excited that, that kids today are seeing that people actively stand up and, and say this is wrong. I I think as parents, we have a natural tendency to want to shield our kids from that stuff. Um, But I think seeing people march in the streets and it also provides them, again, this is Black History Month, it it gives them context for things like uh, when they watch Selma or hear about, um, you know, Emmett Till or the the bombing of the Baptist Church in, in Alabama. Um, So I think that that they can see logical ties and connections between all of these things and and realize that, you know, the things that we're hearing today, um, this is not the end of the story. This is this is part of a journey. And you're part of that journey and your family is part of that journey. And again, we will get through it together. Um, So, yeah, it's tough but um, it will get better.
0: Thank you. Denise and Chris, you both talked about the luxury that you have being in very diverse areas where your kids get to see other families that look like theirs, whether that be the color of their skin or the makeup of their parents or the gender identity, et cetera. What advice would you give to other families who are in in middle America or in communities where they're the only one. Um they're the only family who's out and and their kids are um you know trying to find their way if you will of having a parent or parents who are part of the LGBTQ community.
1: Um I I'll go first. I mean I I just think that you have to um keep finding ways um to expose your child to the things that you want them to you know to be exposed to, and the things that you feel are going to bring them the strength that they need when they go back to be able to face those those things and i you know even in in the diversity that we find in the community we live in, there are still things that are hard you know um I remember my daughter being asked by a little girl, uh, like very aggressively, um, whose belly did you come out of? Whose belly did you come out of? And I was, I was sitting downstairs and I could hear it. And I gasped, like, you know, what is she going to do? And she openly said, I came out of so-and-so's body and belly, but you know, I have two moms. Actually I have three moms because I have a birth mom. And she just told this kid her adoption story. Um, and I think she was probably five then. So, you know, the more you can expose your, your kids to the things that, and, and be very transparent with them about the world and how things operate and, and where they come from, I think it makes it easier for them and it strengthens them to be able to face all of the things that, that may come. And, you know, um, I don't believe that it's a good idea for my daughter or for any kid to never have to be faced with racism or sexism or any of those isms. I think it's really important because that is the world. And when they are faced with it, make sure they're armed with, you know, the ability to be able to respond to it. Um, and, and, And I think that will make them stronger.
2: I completely agree um and um you know it, it it will you know give them um adequate um uh kind of coping skills you know in in the future um provided they have the support at home, going back to the original question you know for families that don't live uh in places like l a or new jersey how do you how do you uh provide um support for your family you know one of the things i say all the time is that you know one of the great things about living in 2017 is that you have the entire knowledge base of the world on your cell phone and mm-hmm. that um you know 20 30 years ago you had to go to a bookstore and find a book and you know but these days there are Chat groups and Facebook pages and meetups, and you know, and also you know, you can look at Modern Family, and there are gay families there. It may not totally look like yours, but you know, there's a two dad family there, and um, the Fosters. I, I, are they still on TV? I don't know. Um come you know,
1: Yesterday.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the ABC Family? There's a new name for it. I don't know. I don't watch TV. Oh, yeah, um, not- but but there are ways to find um, depictions in the media online that you can show your kids, and you can also find again families like yours that you can chat with. You can do Skype or or <clears throat> pardon me, um, Facebook Messenger or iMessage or again there are all these things on my phone. I don't even know what they do. Um, I, ch- I when what, does what the the thing that I chat with my family on. Yeah. Oh, is that the
1: WhatsApp?
2: What? FaceTime, FaceTime,
1: yeah. Oh, FaceTime. <laughs>
2: yeah, or, or WhatsApp, um, that you can find families that you can chat with who are like yours. Um, and again, I, as well as as I'd mentioned before, coming to Family Week, coming to the regional events, um, the camps, our family uh, events. Um either the cruises or the land based um vacations um all is a way of you know providing support for your family
0: great thank you we're down to our final two questions, and so this one uh comes in what what do you um wish that families with two or more parents would keep in mind about families with a single parent or Families where they co-parent, um, perhaps at different times. What myths would you like to correct that are out there about single parents? I'm gonna let you go first, Chris.
2: I, you know, <sighs> myths. You know, the the thing that I always come back to is that. Um, again, one of one of my favorite phrases is that physics is hard. Single parenting is just busy. Um, there's never enough time to get all the laundry done, folded, put away, the bills paid, you know, the dishwasher emptied, reloaded, cook a meal. Um, so it's just there, there's always stuff to do, um, and uh, yeah, there's it, it and, and again, we we're all busy. I, I certainly don't want to give the impression that two family parents with two kids aren't busy. I know that they are, um, but it's just, it, it's there's always stuff to do.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, gosh, I I don't have a, an answer for this. I feel
0: stumped. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay, Denise. All right, that brings us to our final question for today. And as we reflect on Black History Month... <laughs> I wonder if you could maybe identify one or two events that have helped shape you into the parent you are today. Hmm. Uh, can you can you explain? Are you
1: saying one or two
0: Black History events or events
1: in our lives,
0: whichever whichever feels most right for you to answer?
2: So uh, I'll go first because uh, again. Um... Uh, this just popped into my head. Um, so we think about, um, you know, one of the things that I that brought me to parenting is that, you know, I think my my parents did a good job raising me. Were they perfect? No, but but they did a good job. They instilled in me the importance of education, the importance of being kind, giving back to the world, et cetera. And I remember um, when I was very young, and this is a very faint memory, that my mother actually marched with King in Chicago for fair housing back in the mid-60s. And as time went on, and and I was living in North Carolina, um, uh, I remember going to the March on Washington, which would have been, I think, in 93. And I also went to the March for Women's Lives, which I think was 92. And I told my mother um, that I was going, and, and her the thing that she said to me is that you go March, my days of marching are over. Um, And and that really meant a lot to me because the the things that she had taught to me about social justice had had obviously found a home. Um, And I would like to think that throughout my life and career, um, I'm still kind of, living those things out?
1: Um, it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I think back to just the way I was raised and, um, you know, uh, I didn't mention that my family is, um, my, my grandparents were born in the West Indies and my mom and dad were as well. My brother and I were the first born here in this country, uh, in our family. And, um, and so we have like a lot of that, um, a lot of the legacy and tradition of, of of the West Indian culture. Um, but then, you know, really growing up here and becoming quote unquote Americanized, um, as we were always preached to um by our grandparents, um, you know, my brother and I saw our our parents then marching uh marching with Dr. King and you know really being advocates and um just really pushing for you know the rights that we deserve we we were raised in that and um those two kind of cultures coming together have made i think made me very strong made me very confident um and i really hope that i give that to my daughter i don't i'm not always um as clear i think um, as, you know, as my parents were, my grandparents were with us um, about holding on to a lot of the West Indian culture. Um, but but in terms of where I come from as a black woman, I definitely try to impart that in her. But she also has a a mom who's white and Irish. And, you know, she actually claims that as well, um, even though she's, she's not Irish. Um, but she, she has, you know, grown up in that culture. So I think that all these things kind of come together to make her, um, the person that she is, uh, strong and confident. Um, and so I'm really proud of that. Um, and then, you know, just the events and things that we try to expose her to are really, um, important and, I think make me proud that, you know, she's gonna be okay and she and that we we're doing a good job with you know, um with with uh, the way we're raising her. So
0: yeah. oh, Denise, that's that's a perfect note to end on. We're doing a good job. Thank you. Yeah. I would like to thank our guests today, both Denise and Chris. You sharing your time and your voice and your stories have been so appreciated. We thank you very much. And for our listeners, we want to invite you back as we'll be releasing some really powerful podcasts in the coming months. Later in February, there will be a release of an advocacy training for parents. What can you do to be proactive on behalf of families like ours? This session is one you don't want to miss. And then in March, we'll be focusing on summer camp inclusivity, finding that summer camp and other non-school spaces that celebrate and welcome Both LGBTQ youth and those with LGBTQ parents can sometimes be tricky. We're talking can't be here. You won't want to miss that. Again, we thank you for joining us, and until next time, remember that love, justice, family, and equality is what brings our families together. Thank you.